saw me win. And I guess I've been going to Crossroads since you guys wanted the Civic Center. Um, I don't know if a lot of people know, I am from Puerto Rico. So my whole family's living over there. And on September 6th, they had um, a hurricane called Irma that went about 55 miles off of San Juan, which is where my family lives. The island lost power, and that's pretty much when it, everything started going downhill from there. Because after that, um, about two weeks after that happened, you know, they were starting to kind of build back up and trying to recover. Then Hurricane Maria made landfall. So that was on September 20th. The, basically the island is right here. The hurricane went literally diagonal, so it covered the whole entire island. So that's when everybody lost power, they lost running water, they lost houses, vehicles, just everything. You know, it was like 5.30 in the morning, my mom called me. She was freaking out, understandably so. So we're on the phone. We're talking, she's just telling me I'm really scared, what's going on, like just telling me everything that was going on and then in the background I could hear just the windows and the doors just kind of flapping open and they were, you know, you could hear them just kind of, they were going to fly off the hinges and so we're talking, I'm trying to calm her down, I'm trying to keep the calm because if I freak out, she's going to freak out even more. And so around 7.30, we just lost all communication. I get trying to call back, and trying to call my brother, and nothing. So after that, the only thing I had to really know what was going on was the weather channel. Because from the moment I lost communication with my parents, I was just like, Lord, like, just please keep them safe. It's just my parents who are my mom's 70, my dad's 68. They're both diabetic, high blood pressure. My dad's going blind from his diabetes. And then my mom had her uncle with them who's a 94-year-old cancer patient. And it was just the three of them. If they would have had an able-bodied person there that if something were to happen, could have helped them, I don't think I would have been freaking out as much. But that was my main concern because my brother was in his house with his family. So I was just praying like a man, praying, praying, and praying. And I was just like, Lord, and I just kept watching the Weather Channel, and I'm like, please, God, just, just put a little dome over their house or something. It was just, it was really, really disconcerting. Not being able to be there and help them and just do something. That is the worst feeling you could ever have. I'm so far away. And all I can do is sit by the phone. I was just like, please do something happen. So I was with my baby, I was just playing in the living room, and a phone call comes in, and it was it was a Puerto Rico number. So my brother called me and I'm like, oh my word, thank God you're alive. What happened? Um, they ended up being airlifted from the roof of her house and then taken um, to the closest shelter. So he was just telling me, I don't know what we're going to do. There's nothing here. Everything's closed. Communications are down. There's only one cell phone tower working on the whole entire island. I just want to let you know.
we're okay. And like two hours after that, my mom calls me, crying. It's like, we're alive. And she was alive. But we did, our house did flood. It wasn't as bad as my brother's, thank God. Um, but, you know, their house flooded and she was just like, we can't get out of here. We're scared. We got nothing. We lost running water. We haven't been able to go get any food. Because at this point, they the only supplies they had was what they had gotten before Irma came to town. Because those two weeks, nothing was open. Grocery stores were closed. Everything was closed because they were rebuilding. And so she's just calling me crying. We have nothing. We don't have food. We don't have anything. And just, just crying. I'm trying to keep her calm. She was borrowing her friend's phone, so I was just like, just, do you have insulin? What do you have? Just call me. And she said, we're fine. We'll give you a call. But at this point, I was holding off the breakdown, but I just lost it. So that kind of just prompted me to do a little video because I wanted to share what was going on. And I did. And I was just like, anybody that wants to help, let me know, and I will give you all the information. And I was like, and I don't want to, you guys don't have to give me anything. Here's the address. You can send it yourselves. You know what I mean? I was just like, I just want them to get help. And it was amazing because this was on a Tuesday. And the next day I had phone calls and messages from so many people. People that I didn't even know contact me. And were like, can I call you? I want to talk to you. Can we send stuff? And it was just all these people, and I'm like, thank you, Jesus. It was kind of like that little dome that I had asked for, kind of, he was sending it. And it was just amazing. And then after that, for the whole next two weeks, I just had people like, give me the list, and just, you know, people from the post office where my husband works, and then people from their churches, and then I had like, all of a sudden, it was like this network of, of people that God had put together just to help them out. It was just amazing. And I was just like, wow. I was just kind of overwhelmed. So it was funny because that Sunday, God was given a message and he asked, when was the last time that God blew your mind? And all I could do was laugh because that whole week had been so overwhelming. And I was just like, he didn't blow my mind. He blew my world. Let's give God praise for that, yeah. <clears throat> so a story like that makes you realize um, there's, there's actually different kinds of prayer. That was a desperate prayer uh, that Dami had for her family and their safety during the hurricanes. Um, there's actually um, one of my favorite kinds of prayers is kids' prayers. Kids' prayers. I got a few examples for you. Uh, Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. Uh, dear God, I love Christmas and Easter, but could you find another holiday to put in the middle because there's nothing good there now? Fair enough. Dear God, are you actually invisible or is that just a trick? Okay, good question. Dear, um, dear God, I want to be just like my dad when I grow up, but without the hair everywhere. <laughs> Praying the Lord's Prayer, a child said, lead us not in temptation, but to deliver us from email. Can I get an amen? 
And dear God, when my mom makes leftovers, do I have to pray for the food again? Great question. I think that's fair. Funny prayers, kid prayers, normal routine prayers. But then there's sometimes there's these desperate prayers. Maybe you prayed when the, when the hurricanes were coming through. You likely did pray for the safety of your family. Uh, but I doubt anybody prayed harder and more desperate than Dami did, knowing that her family was right in the teeth of the storm. She was texting and calling, watching the weather channel, checking her app on her phone, watching radar, and just desperately crying out, asking God to protect her family in the midst of that. You know, normal prayers, regular prayers turn into desperate prayers when something you and I love or something you and I value gets threatened. Um, I don't know if you realize this or not, but Jesus had a moment of desperate prayer. There was a a short season in her life where he, he cried out to God in desperation because something he loved and something he threatened was at stake. And it might really shock you to hear this. The thing that he loved and valued so much, the thing that he was desperately praying for was you, was for each one of us. And so if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 14. Uh, It'll be on the screen as well. We are working our way through this book. And now this is the night before Jesus was to, to be tried and crucified and go to the cross. It was the night before that. He had just done the the last supper with his disciples. And then it says this, starting in verse 32. It says, they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John. So he left the other eight. um, And he said, Peter, James, and John, come along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Then he said to them, stay here and keep watch. Now this night of his betrayal, uh, he knew beatings and trial and all the things that were to come. He knew they were about to happen. And so he went to this familiar place. It's a quiet little olive grove just outside of Jerusalem. He said it, it, said it went there often. It's a place of prayer, of quiet. And uh, beyond just being a normal routine, I believe there's a reason he went to Gethsemane specifically that night. And the word itself, Gethsemane, is a compound word. It's two words being put together to make a new word. We, we use compound words all the time, like toothbrush, right? It's a brush for your teeth. Or if you only have one tooth, it's a brush for your tooth, okay? It's a tooth, it should be a teeth brush, am I right? Who named it toothbrush? Or anyway... Gethsemane is a compound word, the two words oil and press. So not only were there olive trees here where they would collect the olives, and then they would press the olives in order to make olive oil. And so this Gethsemane uh, was a symbolic gesture on Jesus' part. We'll get to all the reasons why. But basically, Jesus found himself in a time of pressing, of being pressed, and the, the NIV, which I normally read out of, it said it this way. That's kind of the PG version. He said he was deeply distressed and troubled. But Jesus' desperate state was such that I like the NEB better. And that version says, horror and dismay came over him. 
It was this emotionally anguishing moment that Jesus experienced where he began to feel all the weight of all that was about to happen in the next less than 24 hours. The weight of that began to press down on him. And think about some of the things he endured. First of all, he would have felt terribly alone because one of the 12 that he loved and walked with, Judas, had left him and had gone to betray him and sell him out to the religious leaders. And the the disciples that were still with him were asked to pray. And as we're going to see, they did not not really value that or or, or get Jesus' back on that and seemed unconcerned while the enemy conspired against Jesus. You might have felt alone. Can I tell you, you, Jesus knows what it feels like to be utterly alone. He's been there. So he would have felt that weight. He also would have felt the weight of the physical abuse that was awaiting him. Think through the beatings that Jesus endured. And the crown of thorns would have been pressed down into his skull. And he would have taken a beating with a whip. 39 times they lashed him. It killed people sometimes. The beating that he took with the lash. And then it ultimately cultivated into the, the cross and the crucifixion. This Roman torture device. They, they knew where to put those nails because it was the most painful places on the human body to put them. And they did that. And they crucified Christ. He, he knew that pain was coming. But I believe the worst part of all this pressing and despair and this moment of desperate prayer in Jesus' life comes from the spiritual darkness that began to weigh down his spirit. And what I mean is the condemnation of God was coming upon Christ. That he was going to bear every ounce of sin and shame. Every sin that the world has ever committed, including your sin and my sin. The guilt and the condemnation of that sin was beginning to be placed on Christ. And we think about the gospel, the good news that we believe is that Jesus died for our sins and he rose from the dead to give us life, to freely offer forgiveness and relationship and love of God to us. But, but we like to skip over the, the bad, the bleak, and the darkness that comes and the means by which we receive those things freely. So here's, here's what I want to tell you. We must never forget this moment of Jesus, this darkness that he endured. We must never forget because what God offers freely was terribly costly. It cost him his son, and it wasn't just the death. We begin to see in this garden just the weight that came down on Christ. Now, I think it's appropriate that this weekend is is Veterans Day weekend, and we celebrate. We've been celebrating it here already this morning. Because we live in a free country and we enjoy all those freedoms that Jeff uh, mentioned earlier. And he forgot to mention one though, Jeff, is the second freedom. We have the right to bear arms. So I rolled my sleeves up. So I wanted to exercise the right to, is that what that means? Right to bear arms? No. Nobody pull your gun on me. Okay. We have all these freedoms as a country, but we know something in our country that freedom wasn't free. It isn't free that it costs people, and they sacrifice for those freedoms. So all the freedoms we enjoy, we set aside days like this so we can honor them and pay respect and and, and remember 
the sacrifices that it took to enjoy the freedoms that you and I have. Can I tell you something? Spiritually, the same dynamic is true. Because there was a terrible price paid that you and I might experience the freedom of forgiveness. That you and I might experience the freedom of relationship with God and being loved by God and being known by God and being intimate with God. That all these things were purchased at a high, high price. And we remember them that we might honor and respect them more. So let's pick up our story again. It says, going a little further. He fell to the ground and prayed. Have you ever had a prayer like that where your knees give out and you drop to the ground and you begin to pray because the moment is overwhelming? It says he fell to the ground and he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. He says this, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And I want to clarify a couple terms in there. He says, Abba. He calls God the Father, Abba Father. Abba is the Aramaic word for daddy. He says, Dad. There's an intimacy with the Father. He says, Dad, I know you and you know me. We're close. There's no circumstance. There's no pretense in our relationship. I'm just, you're just my daddy. And Jesus had a relationship intimate with the Father like that. And because of his sacrifice, an intimate relationship with the Father is possible for you and I today. So he calls him, and we may call him through Christ, Abba, Daddy, Father. But I also want to point your attention to this, this idea of a cup. He says, take this cup from me. And that wasn't just a random analogy that Jesus chose. I want to show you in Scripture that this cup is a very specific thing that Jesus is asking. And so we're going to start in the book of Job. And it has a verse here. It says, let their own eyes see their destruction. Let them drink the cup of the wrath of the Almighty. And then in uh, the Psalms it says, In the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. This cup is reserved for the wicked. Next verse, Isaiah 51. Awake, awake, rise up Jerusalem. You who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. You who have drained it to its dregs, the goblet that makes people stagger. And over again in Isaiah and in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, this idea of the cup of the wrath of God, it's spelled out twice in the book of Revelation. It calls it the cup of God's wrath. And what Jesus is praying in this moment, this moment is simply this. He is asking for God to withstand and withhold the wrath that he has from him having to drink that wrath. He says, God, if there's any other way for you, for you not to pour all of your anger at sin out on me, God, if there's any other way, because I want you to think about it. When we hear of awful things done to people and children and innocent people, I mean, there's something in us that gets angry at that sin. And we go, that's not right. And that shouldn't be. And we have this righteous indignation towards sin. Yet there's a holy God who is justified in the same anger and he feels it so much more than we do. And so every time someone ever lied, stole, abused, molested, 
violently attacked, killed every sin that's ever happened on this planet, all of God's anger at those horrible acts is built up in the wrath of God. And this cup is collecting all of his anger. And he's, God's waiting to justify all that has been happening, all that has done wrong on this planet. And the way he's going to do that, he says, Jesus, now you have to take this cup and you drink it. You bear my anger. You bear my wrath. And everything, and everything, every horrible thing that we've seen, and we thought, man, they're getting away with it, and why doesn't someone stop that? And why can't justice be be served? Jesus was the answer to those prayers, and Jesus says, I'll drink it. God, if there's any other way, let's me not drink it. But if that's the only way, man, I'll drink it. And he's in this olive press. And I want to explain to you how olive oil is made. The first thing they do, how, by the way, how many of you in your pantry have uh, virgin olive oil? You use it to cook or whatever. Yeah. Oh yeah. I make popcorn with that stuff. It's awesome. And, uh, they, the way they make virgin olive oil is they put all the oils together in a vat and the weight of the olives themselves squeeze the olives some and the purest, finest virgin oil comes out. And that's what we use and we like to use on our shelves and in our cooking. That's called virgin oil. But then there's a whole lot more in there. So then they begin to stack rocks in the second press. They, they, they put this press in. It's like a lever and they add weight to it and it squeezes more of the oil out of the olives. And that's still good for cooking and some other things. It's not as pure, but it's still pretty good. And then there's more moisture in those olives. And so they take a bunch of rocks and they just pound it down. And every little ounce of of moisture in those olives is squeezed out. And it's not even good for cooking and other things like that, but they have other uses for it. And in in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is being squeezed. And three times he prays, just like the olives were squeezed three times. And the weight of the sin of, of humanity and the weight of the wrath of God is pressed down on him. Man, he says, Daddy, if there's any other way, God, you can do anything. If we can avoid this dumping of all your anger of sin on me and me becoming sin on behalf of your people, if we can avoid that, but not what I want, what you want. Church, what I want to remind you is what God has offered to us freely through his son was so very costly. It came at such a high price. And I don't know about you, but there's times in my life where I forget the sacrifice that Jesus has made. And when I forget and when you forget, there's a price for us forgetting. And what happens are things like this. We start thinking that forgiveness is cheap and it's just a prayer away. And I can just tell God, I'm sorry. And I can go back to my life with very little repentance. I mean, we began to think that uh, forgiveness is something we could take for granted. God's always going to give it to me. We begin to be more liberal in our, in our lifestyle and we begin to excuse more and more of our behavior. And we don't take the rebellion in our own hearts seriously. 
Oh, if that progresses, our hearts can become callous to the sin in our lives. It can become callous to the grace and forgiveness of God. We can become callous to the sacrifice that was made in our behalf. And ultimately, we can make a mockery of the sacrifice of Christ when we forget the cost. But can I tell you, church, that when we remember the cost, when we remember what Jesus has done for us, you and I will begin to wage war against the sin that wants to become pervasive in our lives. We'll wage war, like Paul says in the scriptures, that he would beat his body and make it a slave, that he might withhold himself as much as possible from anything ungodly and anything unholy in his life. We will call on the Spirit. When there's moments of temptation and there's moments that sin would like to have us, we learn to call on the Spirit of God for help, and we get fed up enough with sin that we stay prayed up enough in Him. Because here's our motivation. Maybe you've thought of this, and you think, I don't want to add one more sin as Jesus is hanging on that cross, I don't want to add one more sin to his punishment. I don't want to add any more condemnation to what he's experienced. I don't want to add one more drop to that cup that's brimming over with the sin of humanity. I don't want to add even one more drop to that that Jesus would have to drink. And you think, what in the world? Why would God, what would God want more than sparing his son from enduring his wrath? What could be more important and more valuable? What could God want more than saving his son from that torment? Can I tell you in a word, it's reconciliation. He wants redemption for you and I. He wants to restore humanity back to relationship with himself. He wants a relationship with you and I. And there is no other way that he could do so. There is no other way. There was no other way except for Jesus to drink the cup. Listen, if there's any other religion out there that could satisfy the wrath of God, then the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was meaningful and ridiculous. If your eyes morality that we could be good enough people and pay our taxes and be kind to our neighbor and be good people, and if that could satisfy the wrath of God, then Jesus' sacrifice was worthless. If any amount of philosophy or positive thinking or social activism could do what Jesus did on the cross, then his sacrifice would have been worthless. But none of those things removed the wrath of God. His hatred towards sin and the destruction it brings and the pain it brings. Nothing else could do so. So Jesus drank the cup for you and for me. He willingly drank that cup. He willingly paid the price. He became sin on our behalf. And here's what I want you to hear today. He thought you were worth it. He thought you were worth it. He looked down through the portals of time and he could see your face, I believe, on that cross. And he said, they're worth it. And I'm gonna drink the cup of their sin because I love them and I deem them worthy. And there's nothing else I want more than a relationship with them. So you never have to doubt something when you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ that God values you highly. He thinks you have great worth. In fact, he doesn't think anyone has more worth than you. We're all tied, six million, billion of us. We're tied for number one. And who's got the apple apple of God's eye? We're all there at the top. 
So, you're not defined by your past. We're not defined by our successes. We're not defined by our failures. We're not defined what other people think about us. We're not defined by what other people say about us. The truth of the matter is that you and I can find our worth and our value in what God says is true about us. And what God says is true, it screams it. This, this prayer and this, this act of mercy on the cross screams that God says, you're valuable. You are worth it. I love you. I, there's no one I love more than you. So if that's true and we have God's approval through his son, Jesus Christ, why would we value what anyone else says as more important? Your heavenly father, your daddy who who sent his son for you, he loves you. And he says, you're worth it. Let's continue our story and it says this. It says, then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray that you do not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and he prayed the same thing. Then he came back and again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, there's the third press. He said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. I want you to think about something. His closest friends, the ones he thought he could count on, when he needed them the most, when he said, I need you to pray, if you'll just hang with me for an hour in my greatest moment of need, and they utterly fail him and let him down. He went to the cross for them, didn't he? And he died on the cross for his buddies who had failed them miserably. And that ought to set us free this morning because the truth of the matter is, you and I, no matter how much we've failed God or fallen short of his standards, he still loves us and we don't earn his approval. He gladly gives us and says you're worthy on your best day and you're worthy of my love and acceptance on your on your worst day your obedience doesn't change how I feel about you you can't earn your way into my favor and you don't keep my favor by your obedience and sacrifice it is all through me and what I've done for you God says you're worth it God says, I approve. And he says, now, because I said you're worthy, and because I said you have value, and because I've given this to you, now that I've done these things for you, now that I'm willing to lay down my life on your behalf, now, I want you to live like it. After I've given it to you, what I'm asking you to do is act like my sacrifice matters to you. Live like this sacrifice is important to you. That's the deal I'm willing to make with you. God says, I'll lay down my life on your behalf. You don't earn it and you don't deserve it and you don't work for it. You can't. But you simply receive it. In fact, I want to tell you this. God's love isn't to be earned. It can never be earned. We can never measure if it's given freely through his son. And we receive it by faith in Jesus Christ. But it doesn't mean it's also supposed to be honored. It's also supposed to be honored. 
Just like we do with our veterans, we don't forget the sacrifice they make. But what Jesus said is, I don't want you to remember me on Easter or Christmas. I want you every day to remember my sacrifice for you. And it doesn't earn you points with me, but I do want you to honor me moving forward. And it changes the way we live every day since. There's a uh, powerful movie you may know. It's, it's uh, not that new anymore, but it's called Saving Private Ryan. I'm going to show you a clip right at the end. Uh, the major uh, takes a group, and they go, and they find James Ryan, a private, and they're bringing him back home to mom because his brothers have died. But the, the, the fact that they bring him back, it came at a terrible price, and the captain just took a bullet for Private Ryan. And that's the deal God made with us. He said, I'm willingly laying down my life and paying a debt you can't pay, suffering the wrath of God on your behalf. And I don't ask you to to make amends and pay it back. What I'm asking you to do is honor it and live every day in light of it and earn it in that way. As we close, I've got some questions I want to ask you. And I'm asking God here that he would grant us the faith to honor these honestly and to believe the truths we just read about. My first question is, how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself based on your past, on what other people have said, or do you see yourself as God sees you, as valuable and worthy of his love and valuable and worthy of his acceptance? The truth is God loves you regardless of where you've been, regardless of where you are today, regardless of your performance, and nothing can change that. And I pray that today that you will find your worth and significance in Christ and in Christ alone. My second question is, is do you value the price that Jesus prayed? Do you value the sacrifice that he made? If you do, you'll take to heart the words Jesus gave his disciples. He said, keep watch. Keep watch. Don't fall asleep. Don't take this for granted. Don't sleep on me. Don't just cruise till heaven. Man, you need to be faithful to live every day as a reflection of what I've done for you. Let it be your heart's cry of worship back to me. And it says, thank you, God, for all that you've done. God, I want to live my life like your your sacrifice for me made a difference in my life. And I want to honor you. Maybe the way you want to honor God is something specific. You can write that on your connect card. My third question is, are you in that place, the falling in your knees kind of prayer time, that you've got some desperate prayers you need to offer to God today? Can I tell you, we've got some index cards that you're going to do something with. Jeff's going to tell you here in a moment. And and I'm going to challenge you to take advantage of that and make that an act of faith and prayer and and bring your desperate prayer before God. We'll also have some friends up here. If you want to pray with them, uh, that you can come see them. And you, uh, you take your desperate moment of prayer to God today. Lastly, can I just ask you, are you in need of the forgiveness of God? That heaven and hell hell hang in the balance. And if you're honest, you're just not sure what your outcome is and what your future may be. And the most desperate prayer may be, may God rescue me from the coming wrath that make your sacrifice count for me. I'm going to just say, if you need the prayer of forgiveness today, to know God is on your side, to know that he has forgiven you, to know that you are his, to know that you uh, have a relationship with him. I'm going to be up, up front here. You come and you pray or you come to one of the counselors and you ask them to, to lead you in the prayer of forgiveness with God. Let's go to heaven in prayer today. 
Father in heaven, I pray for faith to trust you. Right now, as your spirit is moving in our hearts, I pray for faith to believe what you say is true, that our worth isn't based on anything else, but but only on what you say is true about us. God, give us the faith to believe that today, to find our worth and value in you. Father, I pray for the faith that we would live our lives in such a way that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is a burning hot coal that drives us each day to want to reflect our love back to you, that we would live in light of all that you've done for us. Father, I pray for those that have desperate prayers. I've already talked to some this morning, and they need to call on your name. I pray you would give them the faith to trust you and to bring that request before you, knowing you're the God who hears and answers prayers. Lastly, God, if there's anyone in the sound of my voice that doesn't know they have your forgiveness, God, would you grant them the faith when the music starts to come and find it in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.